Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We, yep. I was just going to say, we finished off the Ambassadors of Death. Yeah, the Ambassadors of Death. (laughs) Episode six and seven. Yeah, it's one of my favorite stories. You can't possibly have liked it as much as I have, and you didn't like it as much as I have, (laughs) but how did you like it? Well, you know, like you said, it would be impossible for me to like it as much as you do. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the pressure is kind of off there. It was it was a Doctor Who story I had never seen before. And there's something precious about that for sure. It's exciting. And all the pictures move too. Yeah, that's true. I feel like moving pictures is... That is not important to my understanding and my enjoyment of uh, of Doctor Who overall. Yeah. You were so worried about me and those uh, reconstructions. And mm-hmm. honestly, like... This was fine, but there are a lot of reconstructions I would rather sit through than this again. Just, but this is fine. The look you're giving me is unfortunate. I'm just trying to recycle, cycle through some different looks to. But <laughs> I, I, it's amazing actually, given that uh, all but episode one exists uh, in black and white film. Like how, how many years until like this was completely wiped and junked and like maybe and we wouldn't have even had telesounds because John Kira had died by this point. So we would have had to have guessed what everything would have looked like. We would have missed all of Michael Ferguson's sterling direction. Mm-hmm. Oh. That that would have genuinely been a shame because yeah, that's he he did some some great directorial stuff. And you know, like all of the pieces of this are are good. They're fine. Like mm-hmm. I I like the doctor in it just fine. He's very suave. I like the way he takes charge of the situation, you know, without being super overbearing, except for when it's needed. And, you know, Liz doesn't get to do a whole lot in these episodes. But once she and the doctor are reunited, it's back to, you know, Liz, turn on the power, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. At the very end, like his last line but to uh, um, Cornish, to Cornish, thank you, before he leaves is, well, you, you know, there's Liz. She's much more practical than I am. And I was like, yep, <laughs> yes, she is. So and he just wanders off like, you know, I, I, I really like their relationship. And my God, was the Brig amazing in these two episodes. Holy, holy buckets. This might not no spoilers, but this might be the Brigadier's best story. Just because he is so efficient and a man of action and like saves the day. And and also like he's unflappable. Like you can tell when everything is going as wrong as possible and like all of the things that have gone wrong, like Cornish is reciting them one after another after another. And the Brigadier is just standing there calm as can be, mm-hmm. cool as a cucumber. You can tell that he he recognizes the gravity of the situation because he... he, he, he like Nicholas Courtney has a different look on his face. It's still unflapped, but it's like concerned, but not in a I'm worried sort of a way, but just in a these are all things that we need to deal with. So can you stop talking so we can just get on with it? Like that's what his face sort of like. It's just it's great. It's a great break story. That's one of my favorite scenes in that and this whole story is where he's, you know, Cornish like goes after him. Oh, so Lennox died under your very nose. You still haven't found Miss Shaw. The doctor's missing, blah, blah, blah. And then and then the brigadier as you say, he doesn't he doesn't do it in a tone of well, I've done this and this. He sort of like casually and yep. goes through the the uh, explicit methods that they're doing to try and find out where these uh, these hoodlums are. And you can tell during the course of the conversation that Cornish is sort of like gradually being won over, and at the very end he says, "Been very thorough." Mm-hmm. As if to say, like, "I'm sorry," but that the brigadier realizes hasn't gotten me anywhere. Like he, mm-hmm. he even then he realizes that despite all that, you're right, Cornish. Mm-hmm. 
I all these things have happened. Yeah. And I really like Cornish too. Like mm-hmm. just as a character, I've enjoyed him from the very beginning because he is also unflappable, which is, you know, that's an important quality in the person who is at the microphone, mm-hmm. you know, in a in a space control situation because, you know, you you never know what's going to be happening up with the uh with the astronauts, so you need somebody who's just going to be cool and calm and unflappable at the uh, the microphone. So you've got like these two Two unflappable gents flap, oh. flapping at each other just a little bit. <laughs> a tiny bit. Yeah. You know, it gets to episode seven and, and some flapping does occur because, you know, General Carrington, who's behind it all, you'll be shocked to know. Were you shocked? N- no, I wasn't. Like, I had started to suspect. Uh, I mean, we knew he was in on it in a way from the very beginning but then he sort of explained that away which i think i bought briefly but then just started to suspect him again more and more until it was revealed sure sure enough it was him but that was that was nice that you know kept me guessing until very close to the very end Mm -hmm. yep and they the big reveal at the end of episode six you you quite liked uh carolyn john's line there when she said general carrington uh, how did you find us like just her delivery as she looks at the doctor who looks at her so they go of course it's yeah you like that bit yeah it was just that was i i don't know who to credit with it but it was it was delightful i don't know if that was a choice on carolyn john's part or if it was it was the direction or if the script you know has that word sort of cut off so that she's whoever it was or if it was a combination effort that was one of the most i think effective lines because you just see so much happening with very little dialogue mm-hmm. um we've been watching game of thrones and uh jason snell i think it was who has said that uh, on game of thrones there are so many scenes where there's no dialogue but there's so much information conveyed to the audience and to the other characters in the scene just by looks mm-hmm. and glances and, and that sort of thing and i felt like this was this was that like yeah she has a few words but it's really like you said there the eye line between her and uh, Carrington and her and the doctor and the doctor and Liz and mm-hmm. it's just yeah it was it was exceptional I thought so too I, I want to point out I mean this happens sort of all the time in Doctor Who but I really noticed it in that scene where you know um, the doctor sitting at the desk like let's say camera two is covering him camera three let's say is on uh, Liz camera one is on General Carrington coming down the stairs so in the space of like a few seconds it comes from like Carrington to the stairs lit over to camera three for Liz quick reaction shot from the doctor looking up quickly back to Liz Shaw over to there like you know that's all done live live switching it's not editing it is happening live television multi-camera drama in in these days and how Doctor Who was mostly made during the entirety of its classic series run is almost like the camera people and the switchers are almost as important as the actor because they have to be on everything every line everything has to sort of be remarkably in sync and whenever I see something like super switched like that Michael Ferguson excelled at that in all of the stuff that I've seen which is basically Doctor Who and the Sandbaggers <laughs> but whenever I see something like that I appreciate the skill and technique that you you know you can't save that stuff in the edit suite that's all happening live and it's all done very precisely i had completely forgotten that this was a three camera like setup um i think there's a part of my brain that just thought okay now that we're in the color era or in the john pertwee era it's it's all single camera edited because i mean that's what um spirit from space is right Yes, Spirit from Space is all on film, so it's yep. edited, yeah. So I think my brain just never sort of switched back 
mm-hmm. to remind me that oh uh so yeah okay so all right my mind is now officially extra blown at just how effective like all of the uh of the editing not editing of the switching mm-hmm. uh is in in all of these episodes but that's that is a great example of it but yeah there's there's a lot of uh yeah, now I'm like go- replaying through my mind like the the scenes at the space center and and all of the other scenes in the bunker room and wow, yeah, that's that's really impressive. I mean, as I think I've said before, that, that was that was my favorite um gig back in my studio class back in in college was mm-hmm. being the the technical director of the switcher. Yep. And yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, you have to work together as a well-oiled machine, and you know the director has to be in just like constant communication with the camera operators, and the camera operators have to be really, really good at what they're doing, and the boom operators have to be really, really good at what they're yeah. doing because they have to move around and stay out of the way of the cameras as the cameras are moving around to get all of those shots. Yeah. And if you're trying to do something, you know, fancy and have anything resembling a close-up. Yeah, that's 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 tricky stuff. Good good job. Yeah, it's it they you know, back in those days, they also had things what were called camera rehearsals. Mm-hmm. Basically the 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 cast would would rehearse it on set, but essentially the rehearsal is for the camera operators. As I say, they are equal parts to play in this thing. And then they had to know where to be and which shots to take. You know, the director isn't the one doing the switching. The director is the one basically, uh, you know, telling the switcher. And they have a camera script, you know, here in this shot, this shot, this shot, this shot. So do the cameras too. So that's all laid out for them. But still, when you're actually recording the thing, it has to happen. I like the in Adventure in Space and Time where um, they had Warris Hussein. He does like every time he like, Cuts and three and boom, he does a little hand stab. I wonder if that was like written in maybe Warris Hussein did it. Maybe all TV directors do it. Like instead of say take, you know, and take three, you know, maybe it's just like it's quicker, especially in those kind of situations where like there are so many quick cuts, you have to sort of go like that. Um, The only difference between uh, making Doctor Who now in 1970 as compared to the previous six years is that Barry Letts had sort of brought this in how instead of making one episode a week and basically striking the sets, putting them all back up again and then like shooting on the same sets essentially each every week, it was moving to two episodes every two weeks. So what they would do is basically rehearse for two episodes all week or all two weeks actually and then the one day they would shoot like episode one more or less in order and then the next day they would shoot episode two they and they would leave the sets up overnight so it would like you know mm. remove that sort of time and so they would shoot in two episode blocks and so the stories don't actually look like they have been shot in two episode blocks i don't know if you notice john pertwee's hair between episode six and seven changes slightly because a week has passed since they shot those two scenes um but this way of shooting stuff, basically with two episodes every fortnight, happened up until the end of like season 12, essentially. Yeah. And then things finally go on, on a more set-by-set basis as opposed to episode-by-episode. Episode. So very little has actually changed in the making of Doctor Who in the first 12, 12 years. There's more time. They don't have to worry about shooting 45 episodes a year. They're just on to 25 right now, soon to be 26. But um yeah, it's interesting to follow the the course of television production through Doctor Who. Yep. <laughs> no, that's that is a very good monologue, dear. I appreciate it. Sorry, it's it's no. a very it's a very keen bit of interest for me. No, it's and and you're absolutely right to be interested in it. It's fascinating stuff. It's, it's bringing me back to my old studio days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in college. 
In college, yep. Yeah. Or university, if you want to say that. University. I just did. It was it was a university. Oh. I, in I, Alberta, there's a difference. I don't think there was in Wisconsin. Oh, really? Colleges or universities in, in Wisconsin? Yeah, you just say, are you go- where are you going to college? And it could be the University of Wisconsin. I think mm-hmm. colleges can only hand out diplomas. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Well, here in Alberta, that's correct. Yeah. I don't think that's the case elsewhere. Okay. Not everywhere else. Okay. Well, also, I think like my college that I went to is now a university. Mm-hmm. So I guess technically I went to university. I didn't, but. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, anything else, maybe not uh, production based, <laughs> that you can want to talk about this uh, episode here? The hat came back. The hat came back the very next day. <laughs> the hashtag Canada. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a little inside Canadian joke there for you. Um, <laughs> what else? There was, uh, well, we saw the, the aliens. Um, oh, yeah. I, I like how they, we barely saw them. Mm-hmm. We purposely never, so we see them like through, you know, when Liz sort of like has that, the guy takes his helmet off and then we just sort of like see this like very quick shot and sort of like distorted and there's a weird thing going on. And, and even the, the main alien on the ship is like seen through like Venetian blinds or something. <laughs> oh yeah. I was, I was really, well, cause remember I had been surprised that the doctor was going into space. I was even more surprised that the giant space lips turned out to be a spaceship. <laughs> I'm very glad that the doctor explained that, you know, they're yeah. saying, what, what do you see? And he says, it's a spaceship. It's very big. And uh-huh. I was like, it is okay. Thanks for telling me, because <laughs> even after more shots of it, I did not know. Um, yeah, it was just like a still photo, and they zoomed in on it, and that was the extent of the model work for the spaceship. But I was then even more surprised that the doctor just get, disembarks and hangs around on the spaceship for a while, and that the astronauts have been hanging out and watching what they think is football, but is not. Nope. Um, yeah, and then he talks to one of the like. It just I, I knew very little about this story, but somehow I my expectations of it were not that and i was starting to wonder why the hell it was called the ambassadors of death i thought it was just one of those weird things like we're gonna title it something really artistic and impressive (laughs) like you know had they not been actual ambassadors that still would be a cool title right but no then they turned out to be actual ambassadors i was like holy holy cow (laughs) yeah that's that is that is not a thing that i uh that i expected to happen so that was that was really cool i felt like all of the launching and landing stuff happened way faster than it would in real life like just thinking about how many rocket launches have been scrubbed because of weather or because of the like you know (laughs) know, the situation has to be just right but i guess this is the near future Oh, yeah. Or also, like, you know, given how many Apollo missions went up in, like, however short amount of years it was in the 1960s, it's almost, like, amazing to think how many space missions happened then without knowledge of what they, what, what what could go wrong, really. Maybe that's it. I know, which is, the like, the, literally the, the number of hours. Like, ah. it was just, you know, super fast. Like, yeah, we're just going to, we're just going to launch. We're not going to wait two weeks until the earth is pointed in the right direction Mm -hmm. and like (laughs) wind trajectories and all that kind of stuff. Send it up. We got technology. Just send the thing up. We can do it. I suppose they've made it to Mars and back. So space technology is, is much more advanced in this version of the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the futuristic space year of 1980 or whenever this is supposed to take place. Or, or something like that. Yeah. 1970. Just space 1970. Uh, let's see here. Carrington, Regan. I, I love Regan so much. Now that I, I'm glad that you pointed him out in the previous mm-hmm. uh, episode 
podcast episode because I paid more attention to him this time. And yeah, he's, I, I just kind of didn't notice him before. Um, but then when I was actually paying attention to him, I was like, yeah, he's, he's definitely got more roguish charm than I than I thought in the first place. Mm. And an individuality. You know, he tells Carrington, who we don't know it's Carrington yet, mm-hmm. that the doctor's dead yeah. uh, because it suits me. <laughs> you know, he has an idea. He wants to break into banks basically mm-hmm. with these because he's a thug at heart. Mm-hmm. And he is, I like how like straight up he just offers Liz Shaw a job. Well, Lennox <laughs> is dead now, so I got an opening. Do you want the job? Like, like he just assumes that everybody else is going to be as just practical about yeah. that sort of thing and as easily bought as mm-hmm. he is. Because that's the way he would be. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's such a villain thing is to assume that everybody else in the world thinks the same way that you do and sees mm-hmm. the world the same way that you do. Like the complete lack of of empathy and understanding for the other for anybody else, mm-hmm. and it uh, leads to his downfall. It does, but he doesn't die. He gets he gets a <laughs> brigadier once again who leaps around the corner and shoots the gun out of his hand <laughs> and then everyone's going how do we break into the space control we have no troops or anything and it's Regan who comes up why don't you use them <laughs> and then I love how you know oh well you know he's right he says you won't forget I thought of it <laughs> and that was his last that he gets he gets let out as he uh, tries to bargain for his, his uh, freedom oh it's such a great great role yeah that is that is funny and it I feel like it was worth it for the doctor and Liz to not think of it just to give him that line. Cause I feel like the doctor and Liz probably should have thought of that mm-hmm. themselves, but it was, uh, it was pretty funny. Um, the way that Regan suggests it and suggests that maybe, maybe there could be some clemency in the, his future because he was the one that gave them the idea. Who knows? Spoiler alert. We don't hear from him again, sadly. Yeah. That's just too bad. Yeah, it is. Um, anything else? Anything else you want to mention about these uh, last two episodes at all? No. Uh, there was a, a gunfight and uh, right. punch him up. Yep. So I was, you Between know, Terry Walsh and Derek Ware yet again. <laughs> of course. <laughs> they died. They died a few times in the last seven episodes. <laughs> oh, but you know who didn't die? Max Faulkner. <laughs> Max Faulkner. Yep. He was he was back at his post. So it seems like the uh, when um, the one ambassador of death grabbed the the bar um and the fire shot up the bar and max yeah. faulkner got thrown um to the ground it, it didn't kill him also when um one of the ambassadors touched one of the police officers he got back up on the shoulder mm-hmm. yep so maybe maybe depending on where exactly you get touched like if it if it doesn't hit a vital organ although maybe that police officer and max faulkner are going to die slow painful radiation deaths later on it's a good thought <laughs> the look on your face is not like that's a good thought. It's ew. Yeah, hopefully not. But you never know. I'm I'm glad we don't have to to see that happen. That's true. I want to make a point to John Wakefield, the uh, the patsy in the press. Boy, the press doesn't come. You know, he just like, yep, whatever you want, General Carrington. Let's do a world live telecast. I believe everything you say, you ranting general. Mm-hmm. Please tear the helmet off this supposed alien and frighten the world. Like he just is going along with it. This complicit media. So he's basically the mainstream media right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Boo, boo, John Wakefield. I wonder what happened because he. You know, they, they're, Wakefield is on mic, on camera, about to introduce General Carrington, and then the unit breaks in. Like, at what point? I hope somewhere they decided to stop the satellite <laughs> yeah. broadcast, yeah. and this whole thing wasn't carrying out. Um, but you never know. 
I did I did wonder about that. I was like, at what point does somebody cut the feed? Yeah. Because we don't know. We don't have uh, Wakefield saying, you know, cut the feed or anything mm. like that. And they had already gone live. So, I mean, people probably saw it. People probably at least heard the gunfire in yeah. the background and may have even seen the brig come in holding a gun mm-hmm. on like this <laughs> commander who yeah. has just been, or uh, general, who's just been introduced as this war hero uh-huh. type guy and then everything cuts out like <laughs> yikes conspiracy <laughs> conspiracy theorists run amok after that seeing that on live uh-huh. tv yeah like i thought that i thought maybe it was going to go farther before the brig came in and you know show the alien and blah blah, blah. and i was going to be like this is just as bad as in like rtd's era where <laughs> there's all kinds of alien stuff yeah. happening on earth all the time and yet nobody seems to remember it yeah. or or care um so we didn't quite get that far as to showing the alien on television but there was definitely some like people saw something happen yeah. <laughs> so uh there may have been some minor world panic going on or not, or not. possibly mm-hmm. <laughs> who knows maybe maybe in that what's his name in rose the first episode of the new series modern series we should say um that guy whose name i can't remember who had like the scrapbook of all the stuff all the times that this mysterious mm-hmm. doctor shows up perhaps oh that this one time and i don't know what year it was where they almost had an alien broad being broadcast <laughs> on live tv and then they cut the feed for some reason and i think the doctor was involved but maybe in a maybe in the novelization it says that i'm not too sure <laughs> well you should read the novelization yeah. and find out so. all right um i think that's it that's it for the ambassadors of death yeah all right. Well, the, the next story, um, which we promised to get to in less of a frantic fashion this time, because next weekend is a holiday weekend in Canada. It's Victoria Day. And we usually try and watch a couple episodes on, on holiday Mondays or holiday weekends. Uh, and that would be Inferno is the next story. Already? Yeah, already. Whoa. What? Uh, explain your surprise. Isn't that the last story in season seven? There are four stories in season seven. One four-parter and three seven-parters. That's just bollocks. It is. <laughs> it's tr- It's a shame and a tragedy that probably my favorite season of classic, well, I've, one of my favorite seasons of classic Doctor Who is but four stories long. I'm not all right with this. Right? I'm not. I imagine how the fans thought. Like, oh, look at this. We had 45 episodes and, and like several stories and now we're down to four stories? How does this, what a cheat. Yeah, Doctor Who, Doctor Who is ruined. Yeah. <laughs> It'll never be the same again. How dare you completely change the format and make half the episodes and there's no new, all the characters are new and there's no existing monsters coming back. You've ruined Doctor uh, Who, Barry Letts. And the picture looks all different. <laughs> it's all color and stuff. We demand black and white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Doc, oh. Doctor Who's always being ruined every season. Somebody's ruining it, ruining it somehow. Every year. But uh, the ratings are doing well at this point, a lot better than they were in the last year of the Black and White series. So it's this season of Doctor Who that saves Doctor Who because mm-hmm. they thought um, they were going to cancel it after season six. And then they thought, well, let's try and make a, let's try and think of a new science fiction series for, for 1970. And they couldn't think of one. So it says, well, just renew Doctor Who again and we'll see what happens. And it did well. And so they decided to renew it and renew it and renew it and renew it. Mm-hmm. So you can thank season seven for that. I, I will. Thank you, Season 7, for that. Yeah. But we're not done it yet. Inferno, next up on Lazy Doctor Who 
on the Incomparable Network. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.